Amen. It's good to see you here this morning, and uh, as Forrest said, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we appreciate the, uh, the fact that you come out to be with us. We, we welcome you. It's really our heart that you uh, have a, a genuine encounter with Jesus and a genuine encounter with the love of God and the people of God. I believe we're transformed when we come together. I, I believe that when we come together that, that, that something is imparted into our life that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, the, the local church is a big deal to God. The, the church is a big deal to Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life for the church. And so I'm so thankful to be a part of it, so thankful that you're here. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to turn over to the book of Matthew, chapter number 11. We're going to conclude our sermon series uh, today on the kingdom of God. And <clears throat> we've discussed uh, several different aspects of the kingdom of God. We, we started out by, by talking about the uh, encounter or understanding the kingdom of God uh, at the cross is where we uh, is the entrance way into the kingdom. Then we go from the cross to the covenant, to the community, and to the kingdom. And then we talked about the priority of the kingdom. Then we talked about the keys of the kingdom. Then we talked about the power of the kingdom. Then Clay talked about the, the leaven of the kingdom, the mindset, the wrong mindsets that hinder the progress of the kingdom. And then last week we talked about the culture of the kingdom. And today I want to talk about advancing the kingdom. And, and really, I, I want you to have a, a pen and a piece of paper. I, I pray that you come ready to not just hear, but receive from God, receive uh, uh, the word of God, and, and, and be willing to just simply Open yourself up to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, I want you to be able to just speak to my heart in a personal way. And, and here's the truth. We're not changed because we receive information. You know, you, you can receive all the information you want. Listen, information does not change you. It might make you a smarter sinner, but it cannot change your heart. But information plus application equals transformation. You know, James said it like this, that you're not blessed if you hear the word, you're blessed if you do it. And what I think and what I see is the biggest deficiency in the body of Christ in the church abroad in America is that we are educated far above our level of obedience. I want you to know something. Until we become an obedient people to the king of the kingdom, we will not see true life change. We will not see our, our families change. We will not see our community changed. And we will not see our world changed. Because true change takes place on the level of obedience. As a matter of fact, that's part of the Great Commission. <clears throat> Hopefully that's not too loud on you guys. Is it loud? Woo! Might need to turn me down just a smidge. But... Uh, uh, the Great Commission is to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, teaching them to obey. Have you ever tried to teach anybody to obey? That's a very, very difficult thing to do. But yet that's part of the Great Commission, teaching them to obey and observe all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And so there's an element of the Christian faith that only exists in the realm of obedience. And what I'm saying when, we, when, it talks to, when we're talking about the kingdom of God and transformation is that the, the, the realm of, of obedience is nearly non-existent in the life of the average Christian in America today. I'm convinced that the transformation of the world is just on the other side of an obedient church. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not here to spectate. Uh, I'm not here to just sing songs. I'm not here just to preach messages. I've got one life to live, and I want to live that life for Jesus with everything that is in me. I want to take him at his word. I'm going to believe what he said is true. I want to obey whatever he says for me to obey, and I want him to use my life for his glory, wherever that be here or anywhere around the world. Amen. Are you with me? Matthew chapter number 11. We're just going to read one verse here. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 12. <clears throat> and Jesus is speaking here, and he says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, 
but the violent take it by force. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. Let's pray together. Father, today we thank you for your word. It's a privilege to stand here and just share with your people the word of God. I I pray this morning that you would just give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me to speak only your words and not my own. Hide me behind the cross that you may be seen, that I might be invisible. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and uh, uh, hearts that obey and, and, and just to be able to receive from you the, the, the truth and revelation of your word in a personal way and give us an obedient will that we may obey the instruction you give us this morning and that, Lord, you'd start that process of change in us and use us as agents of change in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, over the past several weeks, we've discussed several different aspects of the kingdom of God. We've, we've covered uh, around six messages, but the truth is we've barely even scratched the surface when it comes to the vast wealth of information and revelation that are available to us concerning the kingdom of God. But This morning, uh, my goal is to try to tie all of this stuff we've been talking about together over the past several weeks and, and, and be able to break it down and just simply say, this is what I believe God is saying to us. This is at least up to this point anyways. I want to be able to take everything that we've shared, and I know that's a lot of information, but, uh, but somehow be able to break it down in a very simplistic way so that each of us can walk out of here this morning with marching orders because we are called to advance the kingdom of God. But there's so many things. We could spend years and years. We could spend lifetimes trying to uh, begin to define and describe the, the, the incredibleness of the kingdom of God and, and the invitation we've been given to be servants of this kingdom. But right now at this point, I simply just want to gather what we've spoken about over the past few weeks and break it down into a simple way of saying, what is it that God is saying to me as an individual and what is it that God is saying to us as a church body? And the reason I want to do this is because the Bible teaches that where much is given, much is required. And what I mean by that is, once you have been entrusted with truth, once you have heard and you have received truth, you now become personally accountable for the application of that truth. You know, it's not enough just to hear it. Once you've been exposed to truth, God fully expects you and I to take the truth that we've been given and begin to apply it and use it in our lives. We are held accountable for that. With greater knowledge and greater understanding comes greater responsibility. And the Bible teaches us if we fail to take what we've been given and then put that into practice, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 25, verse number 19, what we have been given, he will take away from us and give it to another. It really is important that we are faithful with what we've been given. So let me just share with you really quickly what I believe God is speaking to us, again, at least up to this point, individually and as a church. I believe through this series what God is saying to us is that God expects us to come to the place where we grow to a level of Christian maturity in the faith that we are able to assume our rightful place and take personal responsibility for advancing the kingdom of God. In other words, we have to learn how to walk in uh, representation of the king. You are an extension of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God lives inside of you. Everything that God intends for you to do in your life is already on the inside of you. It's just in seed form. Your potential is God's gift to you. What you do with that potential is your gift back to God. You either use it or you lose it. 
it. But where much is given, the Bible says much is required. So I believe God wants us to grow to a place where we become mature believers. Not just mature believers, but we accept the responsibility as being a part of the family of God. Where we say, you know what, I have a contribution to make. There's a ministry that I should be involved in. I've got a mission in the world. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm here to speak on behalf of the heads of state or the heads of the kingdom. I'm part of, of the called out ecclesia. I'm part of the, the church that, that God is using in the earth. And I have something that God has called me to do. Here's what I believe about uh, callings. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, that God has saved us and called us. I don't want to breeze past this very quickly. But God has saved us and called us, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace before the world began. I believe that every believer has a calling. I believe when you are saved, God places a calling on your life. The Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. What's the difference between the called and the chosen? The chosen are the ones who respond to the call. And so have you responded yet to the call of God? Have you responded yet, not just to salvation, but to step into that calling that God has given you in order to fulfill his purpose for your life? So how do we move from just being Christian people that come to church on Sunday morning to being representatives of the kingdom? Well, it's a growing process. It's not easy, but it's absolutely necessary. So we have to move from being entry-level Christians and, and learn how to, number one, how to have proper priorities in our lives. Once we move from having proper priorities, we have to learn how to walk and talk and operate in the power and in the authority and in the freedom that is provided for us in the kingdom of God. We did a whole message on that. Once we learn how to do that, then we have to learn how to use the keys to the kingdom. We said keys represent access. And so God has given us the keys of the kingdom. And so everything that is accessible in heaven is made accessible to us. We just have to learn how to use those keys. But before we can use those keys and learn how to use those keys, we have to do what Clay taught us to do. And that is we have to confront the leaven of wrong mindsets that keep us and hinder us from the progress that God wants us to make. And then from there, we have to learn how to create a culture or an atmosphere where heaven is able to invade earth. The culture of heaven, the Bible says, is that his kingdom comes and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so whatever's going on in heaven, God intends to be happening here on earth. And you are representatives of that. So there's a process that we go through. And it's important that we learn how to take each step, one step at a time. And I just want to explain how we do that here just in uh, the next few minutes. Now, the problem again is, like I said, the problem is uh, those kinds of changes are not easy. It requires being faithful. <laughs> it requires being persistent. It, it requires being focused. It requires el eliminating some things. It requires to get rid of some things. It, it requires not just part of us. It requires us to bring everything in our life in proper alignment and under the governing authority of the king. Amen? Are you with me? It's not easy, but it's necessary. But this, this week while I was studying, I was reminded of a story that I read a little bit, a little while back. It was the story of the Tartar tribe. Now, the Tartar tribe was a tribe in Central Asia. And what was happening at this particular time is that this tribe was in danger of losing what was rightfully theirs and had been rightfully theirs for centuries at a time. And so what this tribe did, they come together and they said, we've decided that we're going to speak a curse over our enemies. Now, 
the curse that they spoke over their enemies, you know, they didn't ask that the earth would open up and swallow their enemies whole. They didn't ask or wish that uh, their enemies would die of disease and and die of plague and, and die of sickness. They simply said these words. This was the curse that the Tartar tribe spoke over their enemies. May you remain in one place forever. That doesn't necessarily sound like that's a really big deal. You know, if I was going to speak a curse over somebody, you know, you, you know I'm probably going to think of something or say something that is, that is really, really, really terrible and really, really bad and really, really painful, you know, because human beings are, are, are you know, we, we have wicked hearts, right? We can invent evil, you know, we can, we can think of just horrible things. But, you know, imagine of all the things that they could have said, all of the curses they could have spoken over their enemies... They simply said, may you remain in one place forever. But the truth is this. When we refuse to grow, when we refuse to do our part, when we fail to fight and contend for what Jesus died to provide for us over 2,000 years ago, the truth is this will end up being our fate forever. You will remain in the same place place forever. I want you to know something. It is a curse for you to remain in one place forever. It is a curse for this church to remain in the same place forever. It is a curse for your family to remain in the same place, in the same condition, no progress, no development, no advancement, no threat to the kingdom, no, no advancing of the kingdom. It's a curse for you to remain the way you are forever. It's a curse. And if we don't take personal responsibility for our development, our growth, our progress, I promise you the devil will do that for you and he will curse you to remain where you are forever. That's not God's will for your life. That's not God's will for this church. It's not God's will for this community. But you can see the generational curses that have been released because many of us, even in our community, our community as a whole, has been in this condition for generations. It's a curse. No progress, no development, no advancement. No threat to the kingdom. We just simply come to church. Jesus makes this bold statement in Matthew 11. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. So, So let me give you three simple ways to advance the kingdom of God, okay? Three simple ways. Not everything that's simple is easy. Have you ever noticed that? Not everything that's simple is easy. But if we're willing and obedient, the Bible says we will eat of the good of the land. And so God has good things in store for your life. God has good things in store for this church. God has good things in store for our community. But we must be willing, not just willing, but we have to be willing and And is a condition word. Willing and obedient. So what do we do? How do we advance the kingdom? Number one, the first thing, this is in your outline. I'm going to try to slow down and not yell so much. I'm going to try to teach this. The first thing is you have to be a voice. Do you realize there's only some victories that can come in your life when you open up your mouth and speak? Revelation 12, 11 says, we overcame the enemy 
by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Now, there's a lot of things that I can do for you, but what I cannot do for you is give your own personal testimony because I've not lived your life. I've not been through what you've been through. I've not had to go through what you had to go through. But listen, no matter how much I speak over your life, no matter if I come and prophesy a word over you that is so incredible and so great and so amazing, listen, there's going to be some things that are going to always remain off limits to you until you have the boldness to open up your mouth and speak. The Bible says of John the Baptist, this was the man who was the forerunner of Christ that God used to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, and I've got it up here, it says that there was a voice. There was a voice coming out of the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Your voice is powerful. The Bible talks about that there was a voice in the wilderness. The Bible talks about God the Father spoke from heaven. Did you know fathers speak? God the Father spoke over Jesus and he said, This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. In that one verse, Jesus received his identity. This is my son. Only a father can speak that to you. Have you heard a father speak that to you yet? If you've not, I promise you, you'll spend the rest of your life looking for it. He said, whom I love, he received affirmation. And then he said, in whom I'm well pleased, he received acceptance. Those three things will never become a reality in your life until you hear the voice of the Father. Did you know that whether you're male or female, if you're a born-again believer, there's a measure of the Father's voice in you? And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to see if you can hear your Father's voice in my voice somewhere in this message because I promise you, if you hear His voice, you'll never be the same again because fathers speak. But John the Baptist, he was a voice crying out in the wilderness. The king's coming. The king's coming. Now listen, if the king is coming, the first thing we've got to do is that we've got to make him welcome. We have to create an atmosphere and a culture that says to him, Lord, we welcome you. Lord, we want you. Lord, we need you. Lord, come. Your kingdom come. You know what that's called? That's called worship. So what this is talking about, what this specifically deals with, or speaks indirectly about, and what I'm saying in in this message is that this speaks about worship. Now listen, worship is critically important in creating an atmosphere for the king to come. Now we've talked about this a lot, and and this is important because here's another thing that I can't do for you. I can't worship for you. I can't worship God on your behalf. I can only worship God for me. But worship is a powerful vehicle of faith that connects us to the king. And so we want to create a culture where worship is taking place both individually, both privately, but also corporately and publicly. In other words, if we're going to prepare the way for the king, the first thing we have to do is we have to learn how to honor the presence of God. Now, God has been in this place this morning. My question is, how did you respond to the presence of God. Now, I'm not talking about an emotional reaction. I'm not talking about uh, creating a scene. I'm talking about like what Force was mentioning, and that is, have you fully engaged? Did you have that moment where you went, oh, he's here? If you, if you did not have that moment, you've missed a moment. 
And so for our church to go to a new level, for you to go to a new level, you have to come to the place where you're able to sense those moments when the king has come and then respond appropriately by simply saying, you're here. And let me tell you something, when the king is here, everything is possible. So we have to learn how to honor the presence of God. Did you know that honor is the culture of heaven? Honor is the culture of heaven. And so we want to create an atmosphere. If we're going to advance the kingdom of God, it has to begin in our personal life, in our personal worship, in our personal and private devotion. It has to begin there. All ministry is a direct overflow of our relationship with God. If we're not ministering out of the overflow of our relationship with God, then it's just simply us. And I can promise you, you don't need more of me. You need more of Jesus. And the world doesn't need any more of us. The world needs more of Jesus. And the only way we get more more of Jesus is to create room for him. Worship is like what John said, I must decrease that he may increase. In other words, the less they are of me, the more room they are for him. The more I die to myself, the more I become alive to him. And that is created in a place of worship. And worship simply means, in the, in the proper original context, surrender. The first time the word worship is mentioned in the Bible... It's in the book of Genesis, the story of Abraham and Isaac, okay? And so what happened was, he says to those that were traveling with him, wait here while me and the lad go yonder and worship. And there, it was Abraham that offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice to God. And so to truly understand worship, you have to understand how much that boy actually meant to Abraham. That boy meant everything to Abraham, but here's the thing. God put Abraham's love to the test. Now, this is the hard thing. God told Abraham, take Isaac to the mountain, and there I want you to sacrifice him. And so Abraham, he prepares an altar. He ties Isaac to this altar. According to the scripture, evidently, he had a, a knife in his hand. He said, now I want you to kill your son. And evidently, Abraham obeyed because the scripture says that Abraham thrust his arm back and got ready to Pierce Abraham with this knife, and all of a sudden, God says to him, don't touch him. For now I know that you will not withhold anything from me, not even your son, your only begotten son. Now, <clears throat> how many of you believe that God knew what Abraham was going to do before he did it? Not a trick question. God's genius. God knows everything. Well, if, if God already knew what Abraham was going to do, why did he ask Abraham to do what he already knew Abraham was going to do in the first place? Because Abraham didn't know what he was going to do. In reality, what this was was a love test. How much do you love God? Do you love God more than you love this boy, more than you love anything else in your life. Because here's the truth. If our love is not put to the test on a regular basis where we have to continually sacrifice and surrender things to Jesus, then our love will ultimately become lukewarm and worthless. A love that doesn't cost you nothing is not love at all. It's emotion. Has God ever put you to the love test? If he's not, you better prepare yourself because it happens to everybody sooner or later. <clears throat> so what happens when we worship? Here's what happens. Number one, 
If we're going to advance the kingdom, we have to create an atmosphere. When we worship, worship, go back to the next one, the first one. When we worship, worship changes the atmosphere, okay? Worship changes the atmosphere. In Acts chapter number 16, verses 23 through 26, Paul and Silas were put in prison, while they were in prison, they began to sing hymns and began to praise God. And as they began to sing and as they began to praise, the atmosphere of that dark, dingy, depressing dungeon of a prison cell was completely transformed. The Bible says so much so that the earth began to shake and notice the result of the atmosphere changing. The Bible says that the doors flung open and everybody's bands were loosed. See, that's what happens when we come together and we have true worship happening in our own personal life, and also as a corporate body. Listen, you know, what you can't obtain in other ways, you can actually worship into your life. Your worship may be the very key for somebody else to get the breakthrough and the victory in their life. Paul and Silas worship, but everybody in the prison was affected by the atmosphere because the kingdom came. Because worship releases or worship creates an atmosphere. Listen, praise and worship is not an emotional reaction to the presence of God. It's a vehicle of faith that brings us into the presence and power of God. So worship's important. Here's the second thing. The second thing is worship releases spiritual warfare. Worship releases spiritual warfare. David is probably the greatest worshiper in all of Scripture. He wrote many of the Psalms that we read. As a matter of fact, God said of David that David was a man after his own heart. But David wasn't just a worshiper. David was also the greatest warrior in the Bible. David was a worshiper, and David was a warrior. He was a worshiping warrior. And here's what he said in 2 Samuel 22, 4. I will call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. He wrote in Psalms 32, 7. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalms 149.6, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. See, worship and warfare are directly connected. Sometimes you don't even know what's going on. As a matter of fact, the harder it is for you to worship, the more you should press in, dig in, and pursue God because warfare is going on. Worship releases warfare. Now, I give you the scripture here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2. What's happening here, everybody knows the story, or most everybody knows the story of Jehoshaphat, he, and he was leading the, the nation of Judah. And they were facing an impossible situation that if God did not intervene, they were ultimately going to be destroyed. All of a sudden, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, and he began to prophesy. And he said this, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. He said, for this battle is not yours but the Lord's. And then he goes on to say, he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And what happens here is he says, I want you to send out Judah First, In other words, Judah actually means praise. Send out praise and worship first, and as a result of praise and worship, I'll begin to work on your behalf, and you won't even have to fight. Now, this is what it says. Now, when they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against their enemies. 
In other words, the enemy that was intending to destroy Jehoshaphat and his people began to turn on each other, and they ultimately destroyed each other. When you learn the power of worshiping the king, you realize that it is the Lord of hosts who actually fights your battle. But you got to be a voice. You got to open up your mouth. You have to be a worshiper. When you come here on Sunday morning, you're a believer. You have responsibility to give your best to God. You can't be selfish and just focus on yourself. You can't be selfish and determine, you know what, I've had a bad day. I'm not going to lift up my voice. I'm not going to lift up my hands. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to praise God. I don't feel like it. It's raining outside. My hair's messed up. All this stuff is going on in my life. You know what, I'm not going to do it. Don't be selfish. Because God will use your worship to change the atmosphere. God will use your worship to release spiritual warfare, even when you don't fully understand what's happening. Here's the second thing. We have to be a voice. second thing is we got to prepare the way. <clears throat> to prepare the way simply means to go before. Now, this speaks of obedience. I highlighted that just for a little bit at the beginning. Now, the Greek word for obedience, listen to this, means to hear or listen in a state of submission. Obedience means to hear or listen in a state of submission. What does that mean? That means that when you are in the mindset that I'm going to try to hear from God, and whatever God says to me, I'm going to do that without question because he's the king and I'm the servant. Now, did you mean it when you give your life to Jesus? Did you really mean it? If you meant it when you give your life to Jesus, then you don't belong to yourself anymore, which means that your opinion is irrelevant. Your vote doesn't count. In the kingdom of God, there's one king, and the rest of us are servants. I paused for an amen, but it didn't come. But it means to hear or listen in the state of submission. Another way that you could say this means to trust. Listen to this. Our ability to grow in the kingdom is determined by our ability to receive and obey an instruction from the king. How many of you are serious about doing God's will in your life? I mean, I've had many people ask me, you know, how can I be directly in the center of God's will and know I'm in the center of God's will 10 years from now? I said, well, that's a very easy question. All you have to do is the very next thing that the Holy Spirit tells you to do, and you'll be directly in the center of God's will. Some of you are wandering around in the wilderness waiting on an instruction from God while God's simply waiting on you to do the last instruction that he gave you, but you refused to because it didn't make sense. Do you think God is going to give you another instruction when you didn't obey the last instruction, that wouldn't be a good teacher. It's like the preacher that preached on John 3.16 every Sunday for like three months. His message, he preached John 3.16. Next week, John 3.16. Next week, John 3.16. Finally, the people got tired of hearing about John 3.16. He said, listen, when are you going to preach something other than John 3.16? Well, he said, well, when you do John 3.16. We can only learn our ability to grow in the kingdom is directly connected to our ability to hear an instruction from the king and then obey that instruction. Until we simply learn how to obey that instruction, we have stunted our growth and we have begun walking under the curse of remaining 
Where you are forever. I wonder where you could be at right now, where your life would be at, where you could be in God, where this church would be at today, the impact it could be making, the impact your life could be making right now if you just simply did what God told you to do five years ago. See, we've created a stagnant culture that says we can come to church and just be consumers. I love what Francis Chan said. He said, when you create a consumer mentality within the church, you actually ruin people. When a person's attitude is that my only obligation is to come to church and to be here present in attendance to be sung to and preached to and then go home, you are actually ruined. He said, our job as leaders within the church is not to make consumers but to make servants. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. How many of you praying to become like Jesus? Are you serving anywhere in the church? Listen, a Christian that doesn't serve is a contradiction. And unfortunately, a lot of folks that are serving want to do just as little as they can and still get by with it. I know it's hard to shout when your feet's been stumping on. Just smile at me. It's all right because I love you. I want you to grow. We don't grow in places of comfort. We grow in places where we're challenged. And obedience is a place where we have to be challenged. Listen, every parent in this place knows that delayed obedience is disobedience. How many people have told your children, go do this and this and this and this, and they just sit there playing their video games? You ask them if they've done that. And then what happens? You get mad and frustrated and huff and puff, (laughs) right? Now, I don't know about you, but my mom, and she's back there, she, when she said no, She meant no the first time. And look how I turned out, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I was going to tell a good story, but I ain't got time. You know, I got a bunch of them. But, I mean, that's the thing. When we refuse to hold our children accountable for something that they should be doing, and then allow them to get away with it. And I'm talking about important matters. I'm not talking about trivial little things that, that, that are irrelevant. But like just simple responsibilities growing into a place of maturity. When we allow them to get by with things that you know they should be doing, we're actually ruining them. Because what you're actually saying to them is that no doesn't mean no the first time. It means no the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time, or no doesn't necessarily mean no at all because no is something that actually you say all the time, but you never reinforce it with any action. And listen, God, when he says something, guess what? He means it the first time. God responds quickly to those who respond quickly. Good things happen to people who are looking for good things to happen. God only needs a moment, but we have to be in position to hear and in a state of listening with the attitude of submission to do whatever he says to do. God's no respecter of person. He'll use you. He'll use me. He'll use whoever. Here's the other thing. The king doesn't owe us an explanation or a reason to do anything that he asks us. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. Instant obedience will teach you more about God than a lifetime of Bible discussions. I'd write that down for you. Instant obedience to God will teach you more about Him than a lifetime of Bible discussions.
The devil could care less how much Bible knowledge you have. I promise you, his theology is better than yours. But what he will do is he will try to give you every reason and every excuse and to scare you and intimidate you and deceive you and trick you and put whatever it takes in front of you to keep you from being obedient to God because when you do that, growth takes place. Instant obedience to God, I'm about to wrap it up, would teach us more about God than a lifetime of Bible discussions. Listen to this. The Bible says even Jesus had to learn obedience. Hebrews 5.8 says that he, Jesus, learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says that Jesus began to both to do and to teach. Watching the actions of Jesus became the teaching method that brought transformation in the lives of his disciples. See, the disciples didn't just hear a sermon, they saw a sermon, and they were transformed by it. That's always been God's method. It wasn't just about those 12, it's about all of us that are here. People watch your life. You are living epistles known and read among all men. I'll skip that. Matthew, or Mark 16, 15 through 17. This is the Great Commission. You know, we talk about that a lot. The Great Commission is incredibly important to God. As a matter of fact, if we want him to come, then we have to be actively participating and going. And that's for all of us. And he says this, go and to all the world preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. Listen, and these signs shall follow those that believe. Now, what kind of people are we talking about? Believers. Are you a believer? He said, these signs shall follow them that believe that in my name they will cast out demons, not the pastor, not, not, the, not the worship leader, not, not the Sunday school teacher. Believers, they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and drink any deadly thing, and nothing by no means harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But here's the thing. These signs shall follow. It does not say these sh- signs shall precede. A lot of us are waiting for God to do something miraculous and incredible and supernatural when God's just simply saying, well, if you will go in obedience to what I told you to do, these things will follow automatically because believing means to obey. There's no such thing as believing in terms of mental acknowledgement. That's not believing. To believe is to obey. Listen, you only believe what you live. Everything else is just religious talk. It's one thing to say you believe. It's another thing to put your life on the line to back that thing up. I don't know about you, but I've been many places, I mean many, many places, many, many times that if God did not show up, things were going to go bad fast. And I don't say that in false humility. I don't say that in just pretense or it being superficial. I say that with all honesty. And everything in my life is like this. You guys know me. I'm not that smart. I'm not that educated. I'm not that anything. As a matter of fact, I think the thing that God loves about me most is my weakness. But when you're weak, That's God's opportunity to show his strength through your life. We need God, and when you're obedient, it always puts you in a place of dependency, and that is exactly where God wants to keep you. They go ahead and come to music. I'm going to wrap it up with this. We have to be a voice, and this speaks of worship. 
We have to prepare the way. And that simply speaks of obedience. The last thing is we've got to make his path straight. And this speaks of evangelism. He said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, where it says that he would be the one crying, a voice crying out of the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. And what God used John to do for the nation of Israel God wants to use you to this generation. You know what John did? And everybody can do this. He simply saw Jesus coming and he pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. All he did was point people to Jesus and call them to repentance. That's all he did his whole life. He didn't even have a sermon series. He didn't have a, 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 you know, a, a, just a, a bunch of extra information, a bunch of different messages that, that he preached. He simply pointed the way. He said, behold the Lamb of God. And he said, you know what? I'll call you to repent. He did some baptizing. That's good. And what God used John to do for Israel, God wants to use you. Can you point people to Jesus? You point people to Jesus by how much you simply worship Jesus. I said up here last week when, when, when Caitlin was, 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 was leading in one particular song, I, I sent Logan a message afterward. I said, I said, Logan, you know what? Your wife is awesome. She makes me want to love Jesus more. I mean, I want to live a life like that. I want to live a life that when people see me, that they see that I'm so wrapped up in Jesus that I love him so much, it inspires them to want to love Jesus more. Not draw attention to me, not, not for people to, to, to look at me, but saying, man, I want to love Jesus like that. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw me. You can do that simply by worship. And you don't worship up here on the stage. Listen, you worship where you're at, in your home, at your workplace. God will use you right where you're at. But Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Who does the work of an evangelist? All of us. All of us are called to be actively involved in evangelism. And did you know that less than 2% of people who call themselves Christians actually share their faith? Right now, right now, there's over 5 billion, not million, billion, 5 billion people that if they were to die today, they would be thrust out into eternity where they would forever be separated from God throughout all eternity. Do you know how many people that would be? That would be the equivalent of lining every lost person side by side, numbering them around the equator. And that number would be so great that it would wrap around the world 40 40 times. And how in the world can we say we love him and ignore them? It's a contradiction. It's fake. It's false. It's not real. It's lip service. It's not true. We're not seeking and trying to save the lost like Jesus did. We don't even invite anybody to church. We can't invite, listen, we can't advance the kingdom of God if we're not trying to actively and intentionally reach people that don't know Jesus. 
Who cares how big this church is or how big any church is if there's within driving distance of these churches 50, 60, 70,000 people who don't know Jesus? Who cares? Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14, 15, he says, and the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world and then the end shall come. The absolute greatest privilege of my life is being in these third world countries and preaching the gospel to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. I live for that. That's why I inhale and exhale. I don't even know why I'm a pastor sometimes. I'll just be honest. But I know this much. I couldn't do any of that without you. This church here is responsible for helping to plant over 50 churches and unreached people groups where the gospel has been taken to people who that when you go ask them, have you heard of Jesus? They say things like, no, take us to where he lives. It's amazing. What a privilege. But listen, God's not just called us to reach people in areas where they've never heard the gospel. He also says, reach your neighbor. Some of you don't even know who your neighbor is. You don't even like your neighbor. And I understand. Sometimes they're a little crazy. But listen, God never created the person that he never loved. Stand with me. to stay in the same place forever? Do you? Look at me. I don't. I'd rather quit. I'd rather give it up. And sometimes I struggle with my passion and zeal and, and, and what I see could happen and what things could be like and, and, and the potential that if we came together and intentionally tried to make a difference in our community and around the world, well, it, it would be, it would blow your mind. But I, I struggle simply trying to lead to the next step. But today, I feel like I at least gave you three things that you can immediately begin to put into practice. That if you become a better worshiper, It'll create an atmosphere for the king to come in your life. And when the king comes into your life, transformation begins to take place. Because the culture of the kingdom is all about transformation and change. And like I said last week, we are either being transformed or we're ultimately being conformed. And listen, if you're going backward instead of forward, listen, that's a curse. But there's no neutral. You don't have an option to just straddle the fence. You got to get off the fence because the devil owns the fence. But I don't want to stay in one place forever. So let's just lift our hands all across this building. Let's start with point one. And simply say, Lord, make me a worshiper. Some of you, this may be awkward and weird to you. Well, this worship, we're not worshiping you. Okay? We're not worshiping this band. We're not worshiping me. and We're not worshiping an individual. We're worshiping the one who alone is worthy, who died for you in your place, on your behalf, because he loves you. 
And Lord, today we want to be a better worshiper. And Lord, we lay, lay aside our worries and our fears and, and, and our anxiety, our feelings, our tiredness. And we just simply, we come and we bring all that we have, as little as it is. And we say, Lord, we're yours. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Teach us how to create an atmosphere for you. We love you, Lord. Just go ahead and sing and play just a little bit. Let's just worship just, just for a few minutes. And we're going to dismiss you. But I believe if our hearts will connect to God, you know what? I believe God will give you instruction before you leave here. As a matter of fact, while you're worshiping, won't you just simply say, Lord, you want to say something to me? I'm now in position to hear. Speak to us, Lord.